on the Texas Steampunk Connection, your source for steampunk event information in the great free state of Texas. We also discuss books, films, comics, and games. Also, we enjoy visiting with the local steampunk luminaries. I'm Flavio. I'm Erica. And I'm Fax, your hosts. Thank you for tuning in, and now on to the episode. We're back. Texas Steampunk Connection, Season 2, Episode 9. Yes, I know we've been away. We took a break. We've been on adventures, and which we'll tell you all about, but not today. <laughs> today we have a guest. Yes, today we are sitting in with Lisa Turner, owner of Turner's Tokens. Hello. Thanks for inviting me on. <laughs> yes, finally. We are here. We've been wanting to have this for a while. I and this is good. <laughs> As we normally do with every guest, we start off with two questions. And these are very basic questions. First off is... How did you get into steampunk? And what is steampunk to you? Answer them in any order you want, in any length you want. So when I'm at conventions, I sometimes get asked that question, and I actually have a long answer and a short answer. <laughs> so for the short answer, I like the aesthetic, and I just kind of fell into it, and I started crafting things. And suddenly, I had too many things in my house, and I wanted to sell. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes, that's the plight of a lot of makers. <laughs> I have too many things. And then, as far as the long answer goes, uh, I'm actually coming up on my eight-year anniversary of being hit by Guillain-Barre syndrome. And that's basically, I was paralyzed from the neck down. Ooh. And I used crafting steampunk jewelry as PT for my hands, getting dexterity back and getting strength back into my body for being able to stand up and uh, sit up and just basically work and maneuver uh, my hands to gain strength and dexterity. Wow. So. <laughs> Seems to have worked really well. Oh, yes. <laughs> you, you seem to be up and, and moving around. Definitely. Um, definitely doing a lot better than I was. And it's been really great as far as when I moved here to Austin back in like 2008, I think it was. And then I was hit by Guillain-Barre in 2009. I didn't really know all that many people here in Austin. And so kind of slipping into the steampunk community, it really kind of opened the doors of finding a lot of friendship here in Austin. And um, it was just a culmination of, you know, giving me a creative outlet along with finding a community uh, in a place that I had just recently moved to. So that's one of the things I love about steampunk is the community that's available. Yes. Yeah, that's, what, that's, that's always a good thing. That's what that's what got me into it as well. Well, Fax and Erica got me into it, but their community. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, steampunks are the best people in the world. <laughs> so, okay, so what, I mean, what, what is the steampunk, you know, it's like, what is it to you? Is like, it's the gears? Is it the, the, the stories? What is, what, is, what, is, what is it about steampunk that, that you really like besides so, the community? <laughs> so, as far as the aesthetic goes, my father grew up on a farm in Pennsylvania, and so we would take trips up there, and I was always surrounded by all the old... Uh, farm work and all the old engines and everything that were up in like a Pennsylvania farm. <laughs> and so it was always fun to kind of go digging through the barn and coming across, you know, antique keys. Oh yeah. That sounds just, like fun. <laughs> it was, it was kind of a treasure hunt up there. And so that's one of the things that I kind of grew up with. And so when I look at steampunk and what I try to integrate into my works, it's just kind of a whimsical nostalgia. <laughs> okay. I don't have any experience with farming myself. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a suburban kid. boy myself. Yeah. <laughs> so what comes to mind is like the smell of live animals <laughs> and rusty old things shoved in a barn. But I can see how that could be 
it, in, with the eyes of like the, a young person. Very uh, fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly the place mom told you not to go. So, well, you know. <laughs> Got to go check it out. Yeah. Well, and then when you go looking at antique stuff, you you sit there and you just go, what was this for? You have to like sort of use your imagination to figure out, you know, what did they, what were they doing on a daily basis that they would have needed this strange looking hook or whatever it is. And it, like, was, it was also interesting growing up, like my grandfather owned a house that had been used almost like a hospital during the civil war. Oh wow. And so like when they were doing renovations, they were tearing out walls and they found uh, letters that soldiers had written to go home, uh, buried within the walls. Wow. And so like when wow. they came across those, I mean, it's kind of like this, again, it's kind of whimsical, but you know, yeah. Well, that's like a, that's like a, like a archeological, archeological <laughs> dig. Mm-hmm. Almost, yeah, you know, that's yeah. that's history right there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just there. I'm sure it wasn't built as a hospital; it was somebody's house oh, that yeah. the army came and said, "Yeah, we're um, <laughs> we're going to take your house and we're going to use it as a hospital." So, so here we go. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And so there's a lot of history, and I think that's one of the things that I really like as far as uh, what I see in steampunk is just kind of the history that's there, and then like how it ties in, and it's just there's a lot of nostalgia that's part of it that. I mean, even even when it comes down to the smell of the barn. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the smell of an antique book or the feel of the rust on an old antique mm-hmm. key. I think that's part of the charm. That tactile sense of, of age and history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I watched those TV show at American Pickers, and they have <laughs> antique archaeology as their store, and they're always going through old barns and everything. The things they find, sometimes it's incredible. Mm-hmm. And other things, I'm like... Really? That's worth something? <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> but apparently they think so. <laughs> so. So it's amazing what people find in barns. That's mm-hmm. what I'm saying. <laughs> now, we came to know you through the Austin Steampunk Society and, and events. And so by the time we met you, you had uh, opened your store, your online store, I think, mostly. Mm-hmm. But I also vended at, at uh, Steampunk events and conventions. Turner's Tokens. <laughs> Turnerstokens.com, uh, which is still a, a great resource. You put uh, uh, yearly calendars of, of events on there, which we sometimes hunt through to find out what's going on, <laughs> <Yeah>. too. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> yes. Very yeah, I, 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 I used to call you the, the secret power behind the steampunk community here. So. <laughs> yeah. You're not the only one who called her that. <laughs> And so, I mean, you said you came in. You started. You doing the. You started doing the, the jewelry for therapy for your hands and everything. When did you? Is that did you do that with determining you were going to sell these online, or did that just come later? It's like, oh, I can. I should probably sell these, or I could sell these. So, or did someone ask you, hey, why aren't you selling those? <laughs> How did this happen? Yeah, uh, that's where it comes into the short answer. Where after I got, you know. Mm-hmm. 30 or 40 created, it was like, I don't really have any more room for this. <laughs> and <laughs> I should start selling these so I can make more room <laughs> and kind of feed the addiction. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I had you make me a, a bolo tie. It's a custom made with a gear and a, a cat paw in the middle of it. It's my favorite piece. I wear that. That's my, that, I wear that no matter what. If I'm, if I'm a steampunk, I'm putting on a tie, the bolo tie, you know, <laughs> and it's, it's just great. I love it. <laughs> When it comes to a lot of the commission work, one of the parts that I really love about digging into commissions is being able to work with the people and figure out, you know, what exactly it is that they want and, you know, kind of the reasons behind it. Because to me, that fuels kind of the artistic approach Mm -hmm. of kind of digging into a product. I mean, even though it's 
you know, just a piece of jewelry. Hopefully it can mean something a little more yeah. than that. Yeah. Well, my, mine's a one of a kind. I can say that for <laughs> sure. I mean, because <laughs> I mean, I remember you, you sent me pictures of different gears, like, oh, which gear this? That. Okay. I want that gear. <laughs> and we went from there and it, went, it was, like I said, it's awesome. I love it. <laughs> when it comes to a lot of the jewelry that I do, I try and kind of tackle each individual piece as an artistic piece. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I have a couple that I reproduce in several different fashions, but for the most part, I, tr- I really try to make it so that every piece is unique. And so that way everyone owns a unique Turner's Tokens piece. <laughs> yeah. Do you have your favorite that you make? I mean, like um, just one that you just really like, I, I really like doing this, <laughs> you know? So one of the things that I did when I first started off is I wanted to kind of incorporate a lot of photography into the pieces that I was doing. So in addition to just creating the piece, I would do a lot of product photography. And so that way I can still hold on to every piece that there I like yeah. <laughs> and still be able to sell it. But I still get to hold on to them. Yeah, that's awesome. I have a couple of collage pieces that <laughs> I had done that... I really fell in love with them and (laughs) it hurts to see them go. (laughs) I know that feeling as a maker myself, (laughs) but you, you finally finished it. You sort of, you need to hold on to it for a while. You're not ready to cut the the cord. (laughs) It's a part of you. (laughs) It's your babies. (laughs) So I know a lot of listeners, uh, I assume a lot of listeners like myself, seeing what you're doing and seeing other businesses in steampunk get started and think, I, I could do that. I, I've got a, a thing that I make that I could sell. How would you recommend them getting into it? Or, you know, what steps did you take? What mistakes did you make in, in becoming a business and becoming effectively, you know, financially viable? Uh, when it comes to how I built Turner's Tokens and how I approached it from a business standpoint, I kind of used Turner's Tokens as a guinea pig for... Or for advertising, like testing out different ways of advertising. And so as much as it was my own business, I was using it as a test subject for my main job, (laughs) which is recruitment advertising. And it's usually on a very limited budget. And so that allowed me to kind of tackle and overlap some of my approaches, whether it be through like Facebook organic growth or like hopping on Instagram and how do I leverage that or... When, even when it comes to networking within communities, you know, how do you organically grow a brand and stay involved within a community? And how do you convey how much you love and care about the community and still be able to like stay involved and like leverage your brand? And so <laughs> it's a lot of work, but um, it kind of comes down to it, it's less. It's less industry skill and it's more emotional. I'm trying to think of the terms. <laughs> you can cut this. <laughs> no, yeah, no, no worries. Uh, emotional. Um, uh, so it's soft science more than uh, statistical analysis no, kind of thing, or it'd be like qualitative, quantitative. Uh, I'm trying to think <laughs> emotional connection. We can move on. <laughs> so instead of business work, it comes down to emotional work because. It comes down to building connections and actually caring and showing that you care and actively supporting the community that you're being part of. And so it's not just you being there as a brand standing alone. Instead, it's connecting within your community. And how do you help that community grow? You're engaging with other people in Mm -hmm. social networks that you're building, not just 
focused on your business, but in more general terms, so that when you do bring up your business, it doesn't feel like, oh, it's that person who just spams all day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They want to sell me something. And and another thing, like when it comes to putting my brand out there, one of my goals was to purposely help further the steampunk community within Texas. And so from my brand point of view, I purposely made it a goal of producing low-cost steampunk items because what I see about people just getting into steampunk there's so many layers to costumes and there's like so Definitely. many knickknacks and doodads uh, that just kind of layer up. And when someone who's just getting into steampunk walks in and they see a $70 necklace, it's really intimidating. And so if I can offer them, you know, here's a $2 pin or here's a $15 necklace or, you know, here, buy a set of 10 necklaces for 50 bucks, then that gives them kind of a starting off point. And it may not be the most sophisticated items, and it may not use all, like, genuine antique items, but what I'm just trying to do is create an option for people to get their feet wet and And actually... Have the aesthetic of it. Yeah, get a chance to experience steampunk, whether or not they're really diving into it just yet or not. Yeah, because so much of steampunk is about personalizing your, your look and making it really about expressing who you are and what your interest is in steampunk. Yeah, definitely. I mean, well, you also you also make cufflinks too. I remember I have a pair yeah. of cufflinks, and Jack has a pair of cufflinks. <laughs> However, I don't have enough shirts to wear the cufflinks on. <laughs> I need to look into that myself. Well, that's the way I do with a lot of things. Is I'll find something that's really cool, and then I'll be like, "Well, what can I? You know, I, may, I have to make an outfit around this exactly. piece. <laughs> I have to find more clothes that go with this piece of jewelry or this hat or whatever." Yeah, like I said again, again with the bolo ties. Like we're in Texas, and we're we're you know we're Western. You know, we're not Eastern European, you know, so, you know, and we wore bolos here in the U.S., mm-hmm. you know, so that, and in I Texas, have a cowboy hat. In Texas. In Texas. Sorry, Yankees in Texas. listening to this like, what's a bolo? <laughs> <laughs> it's like a tie, but better. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, yeah, I, I pretty much, I, I built my outfit pretty much around that bolo. You know? mm-hmm. So, so uh, a friend of mine I was talking with at Steampunk November, he wasn't having a very good day as in, in his business there at the Steampunk Convention. And he told me, that based on, on his experience, that people who come to Steampunk Conventions, specifically Steampunk Conventions, already have their stuff together. And they're not really shopping anymore. Of course, he was you know saying that through gritted teeth because he was having a bad day. But uh, it, it did make me wonder, as I'm looking through the uh, vendors and the people who are at this convention, and they all look already. They do look fantastic. They've got... Mostly, they've got their costumes together. Is that something that you've experienced? Definitely. Um, But I think one of the things that goes into finding a solution to that problem is getting involved with your community, getting to know the faces, and getting to know how they're fleshing out their costumes. So if I know that Erica likes bats, then I know to keep an eye out for source materials that I can include that have bats. And if I know Flavia likes cats, then I know to keep an eye out for cats and paw prints. And, you know, just it's about learning the community and learning how to manipulate it. <laughs> from so really a, knowing who your customer base is on a personal level. Right. Back to building the connections, mm-hmm. the personal connections. And part of that, it when it comes to steampunk, I see it as kind of for makers yeah. and for artists who are vending I believe that it's kind of refocusing 
your direction because a lot of times with the internet you get a global community and when it comes to the artists and makers they need to refocus that to their immediate geographic community and so that's who they need to focus on and support it's kind of like you don't go to someone else's backyard and start poking around before you get your own covered and so i'm going to take care of my austin backyard and then i'll start working my way out to texas and then once I can establish a good presence here, then I'll think about like other surrounding states working out from there. But right now, Texas is what I care about, and Texas is what I can handle. And so that's the community that I want to focus on and help support and create a stronger foundation for. That's interesting, because I, you know, I would have expected uh, uh, generally the, being in business the opposite. You want to find as many eyeballs as possible. Uh, to find that one who's actually going to pick up your piece. Uh, That's a common mistake uh, that you see a lot of marketers do, where they just they're throwing everything at the wall spaghetti and at the wall, yeah. sticks. <laughs> and so when you're able to identify a niche market that gives you a lot more leverage because you're finding exactly who cares about what you do, and then you're focusing on them and you're supporting them, you're creating that foundation. And then when their friends see it, they're like, oh, I kind of fall into this. And so instead of trying to follow everybody else and try to appeal to everybody else, you pick one market and you really zero in on that and build your foundation and work out from there. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. And then from my point of view, I would rather support people I know. Mm -hmm. You know, if if I have a friend that's in a play, I want to go see that play rather than someone who's in a, you know... I don't know. Or if I know that my friend Lisa makes these amazing things, I would rather look through her things first to see if she's got something I, I like before I just go off to, you know, cheap crap from China.com <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> hey, that's my business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a mutual thing. It's like you're, you're involved with your community, but your community also wants to support local artists, local makers. That that gets into a concept that they call a feedback loop. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that's really important when it comes to marketing Mm -hmm. is establishing that feedback loop. Because once I start selling to you and once you start telling me what you want, that's when I can actually use what I'm receiving. And so when it comes to like traditional advertising, you've got print, you've got radio, and that's all shooting information at people and mm-hmm. it's not listening yeah. for getting as many eyeballs as you can that that and, sort of philosophy and yeah. so with the advent of social media that's opening the doors to conversations with your audience and some people treat social media as traditional media and so all they're doing is outputting their messages and you know I've got sales I've got you know here's my shop uh, okay. here's a new product uh, rather than Hey, this is what I'm working on. How do you want to see it progress? Or what kind of stuff are you looking to do to outfit your materials? Or, you know, what's hot on your trends? And, you know, it's offers, it's offering an invaluable listening tool. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people ignore the validity of it and just kind of continue on their own directive. Yeah. I'm starting to understand why you said earlier it's a lot of work. Yes. <laughs> because you're a, having to engage it. And it's a lot of emotional work. Whereas it's not just sitting down and crafting 60 pieces. Instead, it's sitting down and maybe creating 10 customized pieces for people that you have in mind that you're building out for. So, 
So, I mean, obviously you have your online store and you vend. <laughs> where, where have you been vending lately? Have you been going out to vend? Because I know there's not a whole lot of steampunk stuff actually going on, you know, for you to vend at. So, <laughs> so where do you find places to vend? So when it comes to vending, um, I, since my target audience is people just getting into steampunk, that kind of opens the doors for me because I'm more open to vending at larger anime conventions, comic conventions, because these are the people that are just walking by and they're like, oh, hey, that kind of looks cool, and I kind of like that. And that's kind of, I try to help build from there. So that opens the doors. But when it comes to the steampunk events, uh, like vending from them, it can be kind of a hit and miss, but I see it as an expense to go and just communicate with the audience rather than I don't just go there to sell. And so it's kind of a mixed blessing (laughs) because it's a little expensive, but I mean, I'm paying my booth fee to hang out and be able to start interacting. Okay. Meet people. So your focus is very different when you go to a general con because you know that the steampunks you meet haven't built their costumes yet. Mm -hmm. They're still gathering. And then they're the, they're the steampunk babies. They're the ones that I want to get in the door. Right. That makes a lot of sense. But then when you go to a a focused steampunk on, you're there to network, uh, to, to it's a lot more about networking and picking up possible commissions or even just figuring out, you know, what are the new trends and what are people liking? Because a lot of times, the issue, another issue that comes up with steampunk conventions is you're a vendor there, you've got your, especially with jewelry, you've got your products out on the table and someone walks by and it's like, oh, I can make that. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, yes. problem with a bunch of makers. Yeah. <laughs> and that's okay. That's fine. And part of it is if they can sit down and make that, then I as an artist it have kind of failed because I'm not presenting something unique enough and with my own twist. And so... For some of my pieces, that's fine. But when I get into my collage pieces, that's where the more seasoned steampunks who have like full flush outfits, they, that's what can pause them. And they're like, Oh, hey, that's, that's kind of unique and I can't make that. And so that's where you catch them. And so when it comes to the steampunk conventions, that's where you can get into the pricier items where it might be that $70 necklace where they're willing to spend that because it is a more artistic and in-depth piece that Someone at a comic convention would glance over when there's a ten dollar necklace sitting next to it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I can see that because I mean I, there was a point in, during my steampunk thing where I was like, okay, I just want to buy stuff, you know, that's got gears and keys, and I'm just gonna, you know, spend a lot of money on a lot of different things. And now I, I'm very more selective about where I spend money. Like when we went to Steam. Steamathon. Okay. Uh, I looked at a lot of stuff, and it was there was a lot of neat stuff. But the thing that I picked up was actually a vintage piece that was, you know, silver from nineteen nineteen. You know, <laughs> it was an Art Nouveau piece. Right, yeah. yeah, and and the rest of the stuff was kind of like, oh, this is okay, but I don't need any more generic gear necklaces. But I I really like this Art Nouveau piece, and that just kind of. <laughs> kicked up my game a little bit more. Yeah, like when I went to Seattle for a Steampunk convention, I didn't really buy anything but this one piece. And this was originally a necklace. And it, it didn't quite, it wasn't exactly what I wanted, but, you know, I, Erica was nice enough to adapt it to a pin <laughs> situation for me. And this is for my aviation outfit. Which, <laughs> so, and this is the only thing I bought there. Out of all the things there, this is the only thing I bought. Because I've never seen one like that somewhere. 
you know? Yeah, and that's that's definitely a challenge when you're a maker is to do put things together or do things that are unique. One of the biggest things that I would stress to people who are just getting into starting to vend or trying to build their business is identifying their audience. And again, this kind of goes back to advertising basics, but general people don't realize it. Instead, they're trying to target everybody and make everyone happy. And that never works. <laughs> like, like, like Halloween four. <laughs> yeah. Just like, here, here's a steampunk outfit. And Blah, so instead, like sit down and figure out, you know, who do you want coming up to your table and spending? And then also identify how much money do they have to spend? And so, like I said, for me, I'm targeting people who are just getting into steampunk. I want to keep things cheap. And like for personal art pieces, I don't mind spending a little more and charging a little more for pieces for more seasoned you know, so audiences. You have to take into, take into account your time spent on it as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not that's always difficult. That's a big thing. Yeah. Every vendor or maker I hear say, you know, if I charge for the amount of hours I put into this or that. I'd never sell it. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a balancing slippery, act. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, Tax has similar issues because he makes some foam weapons and stuff and he puts a lot of time into it. Mm-hmm. And pricing is always an issue, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but usually a lot of his making is, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in front of the TV watching, you know, binge watching Futurama or whatever while I put on multiple layers of <laughs> plastidip onto something. I can't count how many times I've watched Supernatural while crafting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's useful when there's 11 seasons. Yeah. <laughs> you don't get and, old. And the newest season just ended and there's going to be another one. Oh, man, that, that show's gone forever. Oh. <laughs> uh, now, you've also mentioned... Um, that you got into steampunk because uh, you were hit with a condition. You called it what again? It's called Guillain-Barre syndrome. So you understand why I didn't remember. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce it. But uh, let's talk about that a little bit uh, because it's obviously a big part of your life <laughs> since. Um, how did you? How did you? Uh, so. Call, uh, how, 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 did how did that it, happen? How did it happen? Okay, so one of the fun things is we're recording this in May and May is actually Guillain-Barre Syndrome Awareness and there's actually a chronic form called chronic demyelin- <laughs> chronic inflammatory demyelinating polyneuropathy. Wow. <laughs> that is awful. We'll link that. Okay. Yeah, it's awful, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so basically um, I had a stomach virus and I was getting ready to leave her for Hawaii uh, in five days. And so I was chugging Gatorade and chicken broth. And finally, like on the Friday before we left, I was feeling awesome. And we hopped on the plane and then we got over there. And about two days in, I noticed my mouth was starting to feel kind of weird. And I thought it was like new toothpaste, you know, it just like screwing with me. And then, uh, the next day we went out and we were swimming and I banged my foot on some coral and I broke my toe. And, oh, but Jesus. I didn't feel it. <laughs> Neuropathy, right? That means that your your so, nerves are not sending the signal correctly yes. and you're not feeling, you're right. numb. And kind so, of. like one of the core things about uh, Guillain-Barre signatures are ascending or descending paralysis. And so I could still move everything just fine. It's just I couldn't feel it. So my toe was all bruised and it was like, well, it doesn't hurt. So maybe I just jammed it. Oh. <laughs> and <yeah>. so <laughs> so uh. then the next day we decided to go um, 
oh, I forget, I think it's Mount Diamond over by Waikiki. And uh, we had to climb up, I think it was like 99 stairs or something, which normally would never be a problem for me. But I was like having to take breaks every uh, 10 steps. And it was like, geez, I'm so out of breath and, you know, I'm so out of shape. (laughs) I need to go home and start like getting back into hiking and stuff. And so it was just like a culmination of all these little things. And then uh, by, I think the next day we were getting ready to leave and I went to, I was packing up my suitcase and I went to put it into the car and I couldn't lift my suitcase very well. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I'm really sunburned and maybe my shoulders are just too tired. Uh, (laughs) And then we hopped on the plane. um, And so as far as you knew, you had a great vacation. Oh, yeah. It was an awesome vacation. It was an awesome vacation. That's not how I thought that was going to happen. And I was very lucky with the timeline because uh, how fast it hits can really vary between like three weeks to one day. Like Mm. someone could be walking out to their car and they just drop. And <laughs> so wow. me, when we got on the uh, plane for Ho- from Hawaii to Houston, um, after about nine hours, I went to go stand up and I was walking like I was drunk. And it was like, is this jet lag? I've never had jet lag. Maybe I'm just really tired. <laughs> and so um, from there, we got back to my parents' house in Houston. And then we were like, well, you know, let's stay a day and hang out before hopping on the road to Austin. And, you know, maybe I'll start feeling better. And I didn't really notice any change. And then uh, we headed back the next day to Austin. And that Monday, I had a appointment with the physical therapist because I had been having some back pain. And when I went in there, he told me to stand up and he saw me walking in through the door and he was like, something's off. Because <laughs> I was <laughs> I was jump, just kind of jumbling around. I mean, it's it basically looks like you're drunk because the nerves sending the messages to your muscles and everything are starting to break down. And so after about... Uh, or after he saw me, he sent me over to my general. The general was like, I don't know what's wrong with you. Mm. Uh, maybe it's a tumor. Oh. <laughs> okay. It's not a tumor. <laughs> yeah. So, so, I mean, That's the worst thing when you come down with something and, and the doctors are, are oh, clueless. And that that <laughs> waiting for for some kind of answer is the probably the worst part of any kind of illness. And so then by like... So I think we had landed back on May 15th and then May 18th uh, that night. Uh, I had been in bed and I was feeling like I couldn't breathe right. And it felt like I had a cat sitting on my chest, which is normal. We have three cats. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so I was like, I just need to get up so I can breathe. And so I took one step out of the bed and I went down and my legs were just not working. And so it was basically uh, my hips had given out. Like I could move my legs, but my hips just couldn't support any weight or leverage anything. And so I hit the ground and I asked, you know, I called to my husband. He's like, oh, oh, what? (laughs) It's like three in the morning. And uh, he helped me uh, lift, lift me back to the bed. And then he helped me to the car and we hit the ER. And I was very lucky because, uh, we texted my parents about what had been going on. And one of my parents, uh, friends was an ex nurse. And so she knew that I had a stomach virus before we hit Hawaii. And then she recognized the signs 
And so she immediately told us, ask the doctor about Guillain-Barre syndrome. And so what Guillain-Barre is, is it's basically kicked off by when your system is attacked by a virus, or um, sometimes it can be kicked off by uh, uh, food poisoning or even vaccinations. So your immune system kind of kicks up and then goes haywire? What confuses it is when the virus or the food poisoning or like when you get a vaccine, your system is busy fighting that off. Right. But it gets confused because the virus looks like what what covers your nerves, which is called the myelin sheath. Mm -hmm. And so after it's done kicking the virus out of your system, it's like, oh, we're still being invaded. And so it turns on your body and starts to slowly eat away at the myelin sheaths and all your nerves. And so that's what causes the paralysis. Jesus. (laughs) So, <laughs> so the so the stomach virus kicked it off. Is mm-hmm. I mean, is it, was it something that was I guess you already had in your system, or, or I mean, they they actually don't know why or how Guillain-Barre is kicked off in some people huh. and why it doesn't kick off in others. They thought it could be genetic, but there's been no way to determine that. One of <laughs> so uh, President Roosevelt. They thought he had polio, but like several years back, it was recently discovered that it was instead, it was Guillain-Barre. And so that's what caused his, he had kind of like fluctuating ability of like standing and paralysis. And so that's kind of one of the cue marks. (laughs) So after that, I went to neuro rehab where I slowly started to relearn how to swallow and relearn how to talk and relearn how to stand. And it was baby steps. <laughs> is there medication that they give you for this condition or is it just all physical therapy? There's several different treatments that they run through. One is IVIG, which is basically uh, immunoglobulin, which is extracted from blood donations. Uh-huh. So it takes, if I remember right, it's something about 60 people worth for one bag of it. And you ideally want to go through five treatments. Wow. So, like blood donation is crazy big so mm-hmm. thankful for it <laughs> and then there's other things called plasmapheresis where they basically run uh they try and it's almost like dialysis where they're replacing your plasma through your system and they Oof. you up for several days yuck and i used to donate plasma for money and that is a big nasty ugly needle i think i still have scars <laughs> on my in our arms here from that. <laughs> that is not fun. But one of the good things about Guillain-Barre is people do recover. Um, it's just to varying degrees. They usually say about 98% of people make a full recovery. Um, full recovery as, 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 as it is gone, gone? or just uh, Full recovery just like- as in they're no longer going to the hospital for help or they're no longer seeing doctors for help. However, there's so that chance of relapses. Or uh, yeah, there are chances for relapses. Um, some people are left with residual nerve damage, um, and so they just consider that bunched in as residuals, and it's not really considered you have got Guillain-Barre. Instead, they kind of re-diagnose you as whatever damage is left over. Hmm. And then there's a chronic version. Uh, that's where if you relapse within like three times within the year of getting it, they they kind of set you up on a system for that plasmapheresis or the IVIG treatments on like a three-month basis. And so there's a, (laughs) it's crazy, but 
when it comes to Guillain-Barre, when you are able to identify that ascending or descending paralysis and you know that there's like an ear marker of, you know, oh, I had food poisoning two weeks ago or I had a stomach virus or I had a vaccination, whether it was a flu vaccine. The, the flu vaccine, when it comes to the swine flu, that's one of the ones that like kicks it off in people. And it has to do with like the founding, I forget, I think it has to do with the founding proteins of whatever that vaccine is based on. But it's, again, it's not common. And so it's kind of one of those things where you could have the flu kick off your Guillain-Barre or you could have the vaccine kick it off. So you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So does your body then try to regenerate those uh, nerve endings that have been chewed off? Yes. Uh, So it usually takes about, I think it was uh, three years to make a full recovery is what they say. Um, Because it takes, I think, one year for 12 inches of nerve coverage to be recovered. And so that way it's working out from your core. And so you're usually about three feet out from your core to the tips of your fingers. (laughs) And so that's why it's like about like three years for recovery. Um, some people are stuck in a wheelchair. Some people are able to be running marathons within six months. It's a very varied syndrome. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And you're still having pain from time to time. A little bit. Uh, so basically for mine, I had uh, residual nerve damage in my neck mm-hmm. and my shoulders called occipital neuralgia. And so that's what I'm dealing with now. But yeah, <laughs> being able to go to events... And being able to work on my jewelry is kind of a nice creative outlet Mm -hmm. from just being able to do something artistic and then just getting me out into the community and then just being able to have fun (laughs) despite whatever damage I might have. Yeah, having fun and getting out is always important for anybody. (laughs) Yeah. Wow, that's that's pretty deep stuff. That's cool. Well, I mean, we'll definitely, since it's Awareness Month, we'll definitely link it up on yeah. our page and everything. Um, so what else should we, I mean, you had something else you wanted to talk about. Well, let's tell you what, uh, um, let's let's cut off here. Okay. Take um, we're at about uh, 30 uh, minutes in. 40 minutes. And uh, I want to thank you, Lisa, for, you for coming out and, and talking with us. I appreciate your time. And, uh, and we'll actually continue this conversation and interview with Lisa Turner in a, in, a, in a upcoming episode. We're going to take a break and we'll be back. Yeah, I look forward to it. Faces look ugly when you're alone Women seem wicked when you're unwanted Streets are uneven when you're down When you're strange Faces come out of the rain When you're strange No one remembers your name When you're strange When you're strange when you're strange People are strange When you're a stranger Faces look ugly When you're alone Women seem wicked When you're unwanted Streets are uneven When you're down When you're down 
of the rain When you're strange No one remembers your name When you're strange When you're strange When you're strange Oh, a strange When you're a stranger Faces look ugly When you're alone Women seem wicked When you're unwanted Streets are uneven When you're down People are strange When you're a stranger Faces look ugly When you're alone Women seem wicked When you're unwanted Streets are uneven When you're down That was the Cog is Dead in their cover of the Doors song, People Are Strange. I rather liked it, didn't you? I, I liked it a lot. Yeah, um, I was really impressed. <laughs> I didn't expect to like it. Are you not a Doors fan? Not a Doors fan. Not a Doors fan, okay. But that was, that was cool. Yes. Awesome. Okay, so we're going to get into the coming events of the month, or the rest of the, well, it is currently May 21st that we are recording this. So coming up, we have events coming up for the rest of the month, and we're going to go into June. All right. What are we starting off with, Erica? All right. If you are at odds and don't have any plans for Memorial Day weekend, go on up to Poto, Oklahoma for the Poto Pioneer and Steampunk Festival, May 26th and 27th. This ain't your typical old-timers festival. Not this one. We've added some spice to the mix. The Poto Pioneer and Steampunk Festival is coming soon. So for all you steampunks out there, gear up and get your costumes and contraptions ready. For everyone else, be sure to dress the part. We want to see cowboys, outlaws, Choctaws, and Victorians roaming about the streets of downtown Poto. Host by the historic downtown Poto Incorporated, this two-day festival will feature everything from carriage rides to bizarre contraptions. We're still in the planning phases of this event. Ooh, I hope not. But it's shaping <laughs> up to be point. one of the biggest that we've had downtown in years. Save the date. Check back frequently as we post more updates. We'll see you there. It looks like a lot of fun. I have actually seen some updates of, of the stages and mm-hmm. the props that they're making, and it looks like it's going to be a really fun time. Now, so. how far into Oklahoma is it? I mean, what's the, like, once you get to the border, I say. Oh, <laughs> gosh. Uh, Poto is eastern Oklahoma? Eastern Oklahoma. So, okay. I just want to <laughs> say one thing. As we, we know here in the studio, Choctaw is a culture, not a costume. Please don't dress up as a Choctaw unless you are a Choctaw. <laughs> okay, good advice. Duh, yes, right? Yes. <laughs> All right. According to Google Maps, Oklahoma. it says that uh, Poto is a six-hour and 35-minute drive from Austin. That is 420 miles. This lies horribly because there's always traffic problems in the temple. <laughs> yeah. So you, there is no way you're going to get to Poto, Oklahoma in six hours and 35 minutes. I have family in that area in Gore, Oklahoma. 
Oklahoma, and it's it's usually more like eight or nine. Yeah. Um, so it looks like Poto is right on the border uh, between Oklahoma, and it's almost into Arkansas. Okay. So it's a very pretty area of, of Oklahoma, if you can believe such a thing exists. So it's roughly a six to nine hour drive. You're it's saying? a six to nine hour drive. Uh, it's right near Arkansas. You're going to be driving uh, in kind of some hilly Ozark mm-hmm. sort of uh, area. And it's a really pretty drive once you get out of Texas, which is most of the trip. Right. So. <laughs> well, but, I mean, I can drive six hours west in Texas and still be in Texas. So. Right, <laughs> right. It, it's just, it's a lo- six and a half hours. And that's a long drive. That's so. a long drive. So, but if you're anywhere, but if you live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, it won't be, it'll be three hours less. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So there you go. That sounds like it could be a good time. If you have the time and the effort to get up there, go for it. Yes. And if you do go, let us know how it was. I Give want pictures. <laughs> yeah. What else do we have coming up? Dax, you got something? I've got a few things. Okay. I don't think this was on our list, but okay. uh, <laughs> May 27th, the Woodland Ferry Trail opens at the Zilker Botanical Gardens. Ah. Uh, we went to this last year. It is a definitely a family event. Bring your kids. Uh, they've got different organizations. Dressed uh, like fairies. Children's organizations that have made little fairy villages that they put inside the, the Zilker Botanical Gardens area, and there's... It's, it's really beautiful and uh, whimsical. I'll read it here. 27th through July 30th, free with garden entry and open door open during regular hours, no registration required. Explore the abodes of the fairies and gnomes along the Woodland Ferry Trail through the escarpment pathway and see who is home. Woodland Ferry Trail closes July 30th. That's, that's all it says, but it, it's it's really so it's nice. not a one night thing. It's over a, a, a month, or right? So. But this okay. is when it, it starts. Uh, you're gonna see uh, a lot of kids out there, mm-hmm. many dressed as fairies. Um, <laughs> it's super cute. It, it's pretty cool. What else is cool coming up? Nice. Well, we have on uh, Friday, June second, the uh, Baluna Palooza Rio Glow, Ooh. which is in Kerrville, Texas. So they're featuring delicious foods, arts and crafts, tethered balloon rides. Carnival Ooh. Live Musical Entertainment, Hot Air Balloon Night Glow, show and show and too much fun. <laughs> too much fun? <laughs> too much fun. There's no such thing as too much fun. <laughs> now, we, we've mentioned balloons before, hot air balloon shows before, because we've gone to them, and we dressed up in our finest, and people love us there. So <laughs> don't be afraid to dress up and go check out the balloons in Kerrville. You I will love tethered in. balloon rides. That's uh, the most amazing feeling in the world is rising up through the air in a hot air balloon. There's nothing underneath of you. There's no giant motor noise. There's just kind of a funny smell and this uh, floating feeling like you have in dreams. It's the most amazing feeling. I've never been up in a balloon. I, I, we should I, do this. I definitely want to give it a try sometime. <laughs> it sounds frightening to me, but okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's wonderful. You'll love it. That, again, that was June 2nd in Kerrville. Uh, then June 6th in Austin. Uh, now, our usual uh, monthly meetup on the third Tuesday is not happening this month because of uh, another... Is having another... Re- a Geekgasm review. That's a whole other thing. Look it up. So, instead, on the 6th, which should be the... S- First Tuesday of the month, we'll be meeting in South Austin at Baker Street Pub on the south side. On Lamar. Which we did some months ago, and it was it was pretty popular. It allowed people from the south side to get out who would not have been able to make it. So we're going to do that again. Just a, a social, small event. Come dress up. Have a few beers with us if you've got something to show off. That's awesome. And we'll just hang out on uh, 
June 6th, starting at probably about 7, 7.30. And starting that same day, there is a big show coming to town called Circus 1903, the Golden Age of Circus. Woo-hoo. This is going to be on the, the 6th, 7th, and 8th. We have tickets for the 8th. We have one extra one still? Yes, I do have an extra ticket. I'm looking for someone to go with. All right. So uh, if you want to get in on this, your ticket would be about 36 bucks. Yep. So let Flavio know. Yep. The show starts at 7.30 on June 8th. So I'm assuming we're going to meet there. (coughs) At the Long Center, right? At the Long Long Center, yes. It looks like it's going to be awesome. There's going to be giant puppet elephants. Let me read what it says. Step right up, step right up. The producers of the world's biggest magic show, The Illusionist, have teamed up with the award-winning puppeteers from Warhorse to create a turn-of-the-century circus spectacular. Sensational puppetry puts elephants back in the ring as never seen before, along with a huge cast of the most unique, amazing, and dangerous circus acts from all four corners of the world. From strongmen to contortionists, acrobats to magicians, knife throwers, high wire, and much more. It just sounds like an awesome time. Yes. And, you know, there's no live animals. It's all going to be puppeteers. And that's that's what I'm liking about it. I find this very interesting how uh, the idea of circus is evolving. Even though this is supposed to be a golden age of circus 1903, Mm -hmm. um, Hanna-Barbera, or not um, (laughs) Hanna-Barbera, the the big circus company, um, Barnum & Bailey's Mm -hmm. Circus just ended its last tour forever they've shut down and there are no longer any major circuses that i'm aware of that that have live animals anymore right so this even though it's supposed to be a a throwback 1903 circus it doesn't have live animals it now has uh puppets puppets, human performers and human performers more like uh cirque du soleil which we saw some months ago last month yeah, no, no. Which, yes. which has been fantastic. So I'm fascinated by this this evolution of the idea of circus, but we still will have circus, right? Uh, Just different iteration of it, and it's it's. I mean, it seems the fact that they have all the puppets, and I'm sure on that kind of stuff makes it more steampunk to me. And <laughs> you know, I'm sure head. this is this is going to be very fam- family friendly, something that you definitely want your your kids to see, and you don't have to be ashamed of, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, so th- this is fantastic. I'm so looking forward to this. No uncomfortable questions about why are they beating up that lion? <laughs> yeah. uh, why, did, why did they hit the elephant, Mommy? Right. None of that. So I'm very happy about this. Yeah, once again, that's Thursday, June 8th, 730 is when we have tickets for. We will be there. I do have an extra ticket. I'm willing to sell it <laughs> to, some, to anybody who wants to come with. Yay. So let us know. So after that, what else do we have? Oh, uh, June 10th? Yes. Oh, the Steampunk and Renaissance Artisan Fair. That will be in Wimberley, Texas, hosted by our good friends at the Wimberley Steampunk Flood Gauges. This will be Saturday, June 10th, from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. at the Oldham Cummings VFW Post 6441, and that is in Wimberley, Texas. This is a ticket to the past, present, and future. Come be amazed and support our artists. Apparently, the vendor spaces are completely full now. Yep. So, That's uh, a good sign. Yeah. Very yep. exciting. And if you are interested in any kind of arts, crafts, sew making, I hear there's even going to be a tattoo artist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there will be indoor and outdoor vendors and food and fun and it's going to be a good time so come on out and Fax, Fax will be been vending yes uh, Fax I will is be not, not in a steampunk capacity but in my uh, 
other hobby slash business. So yeah, yeah. But, but well, rumor has it he might have some steampunk starter kits. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, not selling on this show, but yeah, we'll be out there. I just wanted to throw that out there. Okay. <laughs> then so that was a busy week. Yep. Yes. Right there. The next thing, and I'm not totally sure this is going to happen, but June twenty second. Yes. Based on. This last month, and the plan to have it every month at the same time, the San Marcos Steampunk, uh, Steampunk Lamp, Lamp, Factory. Lamp Factory is having a, a social gathering. I hope we'll be having another social gathering on the 22nd. Yes. We, just, we just had one. We weren't able to report on it because we were taking our break, so we didn't let anybody know what was happening. But it was on the Facebook, and, every, and so it was, we'll, the word was out. We'll talk about it on yes. the next Right, next That was episode. one of our adventures. But since we were there, he did mention he was going to want to do this monthly now. So and and it's super fun. It a lot of lot of enthusiasm. New steampunks get out there, and it's in an area that's sort of a dry space for steampunk out out between Austin and San Antonio. Well, yeah, Wimberley's not too far from there, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> the atmosphere is great. The yeah, San Marcos Town Square space. is very turn of the century. The store itself is a wonderful. Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. And I don't know when more is planned for, for next month because he hasn't posted anything about it yet, but I'm, I'm expecting it. So have a look look out for it. We'll probably talk about it on the next show mm-hmm. when we know more. Right. So that brings us to the end of the month where you guys are going out of town. That's right. Uh, on June 25th, there is an event in New Orleans, Louisiana, Jazz Brunch for Steampunks. This will be Sunday, June 25th, from 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. aboard the Steamboat Natchez. Apparently, pick it up at the Toulouse Street Wharf in New Orleans, Louisiana. And the event information says, Come, join us on the mighty river as we enjoy good food, good company, and good music. Costumes are encouraged. Invite your friends. Purchase tickets in advance at, and it's a long website, so I will, should I say it? <laughs> no, we'll put we'll post, we'll post Okay. The, post and the you can get $5 off the ticket price with the code OVGO5. That's OVG05. I don't know what that stands for, but it, it'll also be in the Facebook <laughs> it, it event. It stands so. for $5 off. Oh. Yes. <laughs> so, yes, and I, we're going to New Orleans a little bit early, so we'll be enjoying the, the wonderful city. Oh, yeah, we're going to do a whole weekend of it. Eating, uh, drinking, enjoying oh. the music, looking at the art galleries. <laughs> we'll bring a microphone Drinking in the us. culture. Sure. We'll, we'll make a little report that uh, will go on to a future episode. It'll be great. Apparently it's being hosted by the Baton Rouge Area Steampunk Society. Ooh, Baton Brass. Rouge. <laughs> They're called Brass. Now that's clever. That's like so that. much better than Austin Steampunk Society, <laughs> which is yeah, yeah, minus yeah. the BR. <laughs> 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 but yeah, That's so us. maybe meet some maybe no BR here. <laughs> <laughs> nope, only the A. <clears throat> maybe you'll meet some S people from Brass S. and have a, have a conversation with them, see what they're up to. That sounds fantastic. I'm really looking forward to going to New Orleans. It's just going to be a short trip there and back, but I am going to pack as much fun into it as I can. Yep, I'm very sad that I'm unable to attend as well. Wah, wah. So I guess that wraps it up for this show. Once again, thank you for listening. Like us on Facebook. Tell your friends about us. Make comments. Ask questions. Yes. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, mind, mind your, your gauges. gauges. 
Thanks for listening. This has been the Texas Steampunk Connection. Opening music was the Texas Steer Rag by George Botsford, recorded in 1909. Please like us on Facebook at Texas Steampunk Connection. Where you will find a link to all the topics we talked about in this episode. Until next time, mind, mind your, your gauges. gauges.